Okay, before we uh, enter the meeting proper, we have uh, a period of public speaking and we have somebody who's registered to uh, speak today and that is Dr. Jean Johnson. Would you like to come forward? Oh, you are already forward, that's good. Yeah. And uh, the floor is yours. Okay, thank you. I hope you can hear me. Um, I'm speaking on behalf of all residents of Stane Cottages, which is near Thremhall Priory, Start Hill. At various times, this has been in the constituencies of Broadoak, the Hallingbury's and Takeley. Members, particularly those on the planning committee, will be aware of the continuing controversy surrounding the temporary planning permission that was granted for the siting of eight static mobile homes at an adjacent property called Cramwellian. I now wish to make the entire council aware of a recent ombudsman decision concerning this permission. From the beginning, residents were seriously concerned about the way this application was being handled, Sorry. but felt vilified and branded as nuisances when we dared to challenge Uttlesford District Council. The CEO told us categorically in writing that if we did not agree with the process, we should go to the Ombudsman. This edict was subsequently used as an excuse to ignore us. The CEO even wrote to our parish council and said, the decision was reached properly and in accordance with good practice and procedure. The Ombudsman disagreed. Following a lengthy investigation, he has now ruled. He said, the council handled the application with fault. The decision turns on my view of best practice, informed by taking expert planning advice. He stated that the council should have obtained more information before deciding the application. And he went on to say that there is a real prospect with all the information coming to light now that officers and councillors might have reached a different view and therefore a different decision. He has insisted that a note is placed on the planning file to record his decision. He has also required the council to advise all its planning officers of his view on best practice and what the Ombudsman might expect in similar circumstances. During the course of this, we had also submitted an FOI request to Uttlesford prior to the planning committee hearing. This was to inform us and to help us um, develop a case. It subsequently came to light that information relevant to this planning application had been quite wrongly withheld from us. A complaint to the Information Commissioner resulted in an apology by Uttlesford, a change in its policy and additional staff training. Sadly, this was too little, too late. The question must be raised as to whether this catalogue of errors relates to just this one property and one application or whether there are systemic failings throughout Uttlesford District Council. It raises questions concerning training for officers and councillors about what is best practice in planning matters, particularly where councillors are reliant upon the integrity of officers to guide them accurately when making irreversible planning decisions. Quite frankly, councillors are left to face the rap when officers get it badly wrong. Although the Ombudsman has required the council to apologise and offer small financial recompense to us, this does not address the 
difficult, stressful and costly situation in which we find ourselves. The Ombudsman is unable to deal with the scandalous events preceding this application because it's outside his jurisdiction. Many associated matters continue to remain unresolved. My purpose in telling you this is to ensure that all councillors are made aware of the outcome of our submission to the Ombudsman and to the Information Commissioner and to put on record the flagrant disregard that we feel the Council have demonstrated to those most affected by their failures. The financial cost to us has not been inconsiderable and we have already put the Council on notice that we intend to recover these, but most importantly we hope that no other residents of Uttlesford will have to endure what we have endured and continue to endure for the foreseeable future. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr Johnson. I now call on uh, Councillor Derek Jones, who wishes to uh, speak. Uh, thank you, Chairman. Chairman, Members. I stand before you this evening in this public speaking part of the meeting to add my support to what you have just heard from Dr Jean Johnson. I want to put on record my disquiet and disgust at the way that this authority, in company with other statutory authorities, has been utterly useless in matters of planning and or enforcement in relation to physical changes of the property adjacent to her property. In essence, this council, with others, has permitted an important drainage ditch to be filled in, allowing the land in which the ditch was situated to be raised by some 80 centimetres on average, i.e. 2.5 feet. It has largely ignored the fact that in excess of 100 lorry loads of developers' muckaway has been imported to achieve this and tried to argue that pollutants including arsenic, lead and benzopyrenes included in the muckaway present no hazard to the land and neighbouring land. It has ignored the fact that water goes downhill and if you remove a drainage ditch between properties and raise the land on one side then some water will end up flooding onto the now lower adjacent property. Not content with this inaction, when trying to made it clear that other information had been withheld when it should not have been withheld. UDC challenged the Freedom of Information Commissioner finding, but Dr Johnson appealed, at which point UDC accepted it was at fault. In a huge effort for local residents, Dr Johnson and a neighbour made strenuous efforts to ensure that all relevant information was placed in front of councillors of the planning committee. Our current chairman of the council and I have tried on several occasions to get some kind of enforcement action undertaken, all without success. Dr Johnson has successfully referred problems encountered to the Information Commissioner and to the Local Government Ombudsman. Both referrals have resulted in findings largely in her favour. However, these are minor, perhaps pyrrhic victories in themselves, 
because unless there is some kind of physical action taken to restore normality to the properties concerned, they, that's including the property where the problems were created, have become virtually unsaleable, as any proper sale process will necessarily disclose the unremediated problems and hence the legacy. I am mindful of the fact that there is currently a further planning approval for the site concerned which is subject to discharge of conditions before it can be implemented. There's a stop press on that in a minute. Although this seems currently to be preventing the approval from, from proceeding, it in no way corrects the unsatisfactory situation that has been allowed to happen. I call upon Uttlesford District Council to disclose the findings of the Information Commission and the Local Government Ombudsman to all councillors. Appoint a subcommittee of councillors with appropriate experience to review the findings of the Information Commissioner and the Local Government Ombudsman and to check that remedies are in place within the Council to ensure similar issues do not arise in the future. To try all possible means to engage with other statutory authorities including Essex County Council and the Environment Agency with a view to resolving with utmost expediency the problems caused by filling in the drainage ditch and the raising of the land compounded by the fact of pollutants introduced onto the land. Residents should also be involved whenever possible. And finally, to strive to improve the experience of residents who have dealings with this council by bringing greater clarity to procedures and exchanges between parties and wherever possible removing obfuscation. Chairman, members, thank you for your time. Thank you, Councillor Jones, and thank you, uh, Dr. Johnson. Okay, we're now going to move on to the uh, meeting proper. And apologies for absence of declarations of interest. I have apologies from Councillors Harris, Hicks, Laughlin, uh, and Councillor Rich, who is actually here. So. Well done. Admirable. Thank you. Um, it's also, before we have declarations of interest, it's also um, a great pleasure to see Councillor Waters back with us as well. Yeah. Uh, declarations of interest. There are none. Good. Um, to approve the minutes of the annual meeting held on the 13th of May. I won't go through it page by page. I'll just allow you to identify any, uh, any corrections. There are none. That's good. I, uh, I will now... Uh, sign those minutes. Uh, item three, matters arising from those minutes. Are you waiting for me to go page by page or are you just going to... Ah, yes. C13, Mr Chairman, on uh, page nine. When... Um, 
it was announced at the last meeting that uh, Stephen Joyce was leaving. It was, it was not at all clear to me that uh, a permanent replacement uh, was not, the process for a permanent replacement was not being put in place uh, immediately. You know, I am concerned that uh, one of our key officers, who I might say was of great competence and integrity, and who certainly had a strategic approach to finance, um, is, is leaving without a permanent replacement being already been put in place. Um, you know, I, I think he was one of those people who, when necessary, stood up to members who tried to politicise finance, and, uh, and I think that, that, was a, that was a good thing. So I'm very disappointed that to hear, or I'd subsequently hear, that, um, that no recruitment has been put in place, particularly as we're soon going to be running into the autumn uh, and then we, we've got a, you know, the end of the council coming up next year and uh, I'd just like some clarification as to first of all why uh, that hasn't been put in place and what's going to actually be done to uh, fill that place, that vacancy It's not conventional to take questions Chairman but I will um, Mr Joyce left his last day of service was last week or the week before I have sent an email to all members and all staff around interim arrangements. I am not rushing into a decision about replacement. This council has a history of appointing excellent finance staff and also some other ones. And I do not want to be one who appoints one of the other ones. And so I'm putting interim arrangements in place for the time being to test the water. We have a new leader being elected today. I just want to see how the council's policy evolves so that we structure around that and there are also many other strategies happening as well. So there are interim arrangements in place, which you are all aware of, and you have an item later on the agenda about the appointment of a Section 151 officer, Mr Webb, who is very capable and has already done the job in the past with great skill. So um, that, that's the position. So that doesn't mean I'm not going to recruit. There are interim arrangements in place, and I'll test the water and take my time. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you. Councillor Kent. Um, thank you, Chairman. Um, I can't see it anywhere else on the agenda. Um, so, in response to one of the minutes, I would just like to say how very much I enjoyed the Tour de France. I walked to Felstead to watch it. So, a very great thank you to everyone on the Council who was involved in its organisation. It, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm sure millions of others did too. Thank you. Are there any other matters arising? Chair, Chairman, if I may, I'd just, just like to reply to uh, Councillor Dean in as much as I, I believe, Chief Executive, it is the, one of the statutory duties of this Council to have a Section 151. Mr Joyce had the opportunity of the job that he had. He moved fairly quickly to that new post, which he's entitled to, obviously, in conjunction with the officers of the Council. And we have to we have to have a statutory 151 officer. Should you have asked this question in six months' time, then perhaps it would have been appropriate, but it isn't appropriate this particular time because we have to have a statutory 151 officer. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Thank you. Are there any other matters arising? Excellent. Um, we now 
move to perhaps a sad item, but item four, resignation of the leader of the council and outgoing leader's remarks. Councillor Ketridge. Thank you very much, Mr Chairman. Members, as I indicated at the annual council meeting in May, I do not propose to stand for election to the district council next year. I therefore felt it appropriate to stand down before that time as leader of the council to allow a new leader from the Conservative group the opportunity to get to grips with the role in advance of the elections in May 2015. I am today also stepping down as leader of the Conservative group as that role leads to the other. I've been leader of the Conservative group for the past 11 years, the first four years as leader of the opposition to a Liberal Democrat administration. I became leader of the council in 2007 when following the elections in that year, the Liberal Democrats lost considerable ground and a Conservative administration was formed. I don't think it's an understatement to say that the present administration has had to deal with the most difficult period in the Council's history. We inherited a very serious financial crisis with a failed budget set by our predecessors, and the first few months were beset with seemingly ever more revelations of further black holes in the Council's finances. We were even mentioned in Parliament at that time as a council at risk of financial collapse. We sought help and advice from a number of sources and set up a voluntary improvement board, included in which were a number of representatives of outside agencies, including the Audit Commission. We set about changing the management structure of the council and the spending culture that had existed. However, it emerged that in order to set a legal budget for 2008-09, We had to remove £1 million from our staffing costs and in order to achieve this before the commencement of the new budget year, because of statutory processes, we had to set in train this aim in December 2007, just before Christmas. These were indeed dark days for our staff. This is a very oversimplified synopsis of that time, but a new management structure led by John Mitchell and the staff of this council achieved amazing results in devising new ways of operating our services. A team of volunteers from the council staff, led by Adrian Webb, who had taken on the mantle of the Section 151 officer, brought about many changes, and 2008 saw a very different council emerging from the ashes. An essential part of the key to this recovery was the way in which members of the council worked with our officers. This mutual cooperation is key to the success of any council, and particularly key to that is the working relationship between the leader and the chief executive. One of the early changes I made was to move the leader's office from a small room just outside of this chamber to a newly vacated office next door to the chief executive as I believed that it was important that the elected administration was at the heart of the council's operations. That is its role. The work that was done in 2007-2008 put us in much better shape to deal with the global financial crash in 2009 which itself set in train year-on-year reductions in government grant to local authorities as efforts were made to reduce national indebtedness. One of the many changes that were were brought about was the devolution of gardens and other, other appropriate assets to town and parish councils, thus rectifying a few of what, in my opinion, were the mistakes in the construction of responsibilities and assets following the reorganization of local government in 1974. It is satisfying to be the leader of a council that has not increased its share of the take of council tax for the past four years and has cut council tax for the past two years. A record many councils wish they were in a position so to do. We are also in a position to have one of the most generous council tax support schemes in the region, 
following the abandonment of the Government Controlled Council Tax Discount Scheme. We have also increased year on year our financial support for voluntary and community organisations in recognition of the important part they play in our district. In fact, unprecedented amounts of money have been allocated to communities by way of grant funding. During this time, we have had the excellent support of Stephen Joyce, who has just been referred to in an earlier question, our Section 151 officer, who by his construction of financial reports made complex local government finances more understandable by members and the public alike. Stephen has recently left us to go on to other things, but his legacy remains. And I commend you, members, to the statement of accounts which you will just have just received, which is a, a classic example uh, of the work that Stephen did. Uh, and indeed, I commend you to the fact that uh, I think this is the seventh year we have uh, uh, had a favourable variance, or more commonly terms, an underspend, uh, and I think that... Um, I think that's something we should be uh, proud of. After the District Council's planning for a future where there will be little or no core funding from government for local authorities, and to this, and to this end is continually striving to find ever more efficient ways of operating our services. The whole of the period since 2007 has also seen the progress of a new local plan. We, like every planning authority in the country, have seen the goalposts moved so many times in that period by both the Labour and Coalition governments. But at last, and before many of our neighbours, we have now, on the 4th of July 2014, submitted our local plan to the Planning Inspectorate for examination. We hope we will achieve adoption of that plan in the late autumn. In referring to the local plan, we must, as a district and a country, accept that we must be supporting local people who cannot afford to get on the housing ladder. We've heard some of the problems from Family Mosaic earlier. And the proposals we have made help to support that aim, as well as the small amount of new council dwellings that we as a council, because of our improved financial position, are able to build. I could speak for ages on Uttlesford, but I am conscious of the agenda we have before us this evening. But recommend you to our corporate plan and medium-term financial strategy that succinctly sets out our aims and aspirations. I will therefore conclude by saying I'm proud to have been the leader of a council that is well respected by its peers in local government and by national government, thus having received visits by Conservative and Liberal Democrat government ministers acknowledging that status. I'm also proud to have been the leader of a district accorded in 2014 the status of the best rural district in the United Kingdom for the quality of life of its residents. Because if you think that all of these things happen by accident, then you're very much mistaken. In this respect, what great events we have witnessed recently that, that have put our district in the national and international spotlight, ranging from the excellent BBC documentary on Saffron Walden to the visit of the Olympic torch in 2012 and the amazing scenes of just a week ago uh, when the Tour de France sped through our district. Mr Chairman, through you, I'd like to record my thanks to all of the members of this council, especially those with whom I have to work uh, very closely uh, in this job, not least my uh, deputy, uh, the chief executive and his team, and all of the council staff, whether they work indoors or outdoors, for the part they have played in this council's achievements over the past seven years. I know that I hand over the leadership of this council to very capable hands and to an administration group that will deal with the challenges that inevitably lie ahead and who will ensure that Uttlesford District Council remains at the forefront of local government for all the right reasons. Chairman, thank you.
Well, regardless of our uh, political persuasions, I think we'd all like to again show our uh, thanks to Councillor Ketteridge for his uh, sterling dedication to, to public service and also for the amount of work that he does for the Council, which uh, some of us would find unimaginable. So I think, uh, I think we should all show our appreciation in the customary way. Councillor Dean, I believe, would like to say something. Mr Chairman, it's always uh, personally sad for anyone who uh, stands down from a, a, a job or is uh, replaced, and quite a number of uh, Mr Cameron's team are finding themselves in the um, same position uh, this week. Uh, and, you know, I've been there in the past, and uh, I obviously take some readjustment, but uh, uh, just to really mention one thing, Jim, there is such a thing as reincarnation. I didn't get it. <laughs> um, I, I, want, I, I want to uh, just quote one paragraph from um, an editorial in the Observer of a few weeks ago, which I think, I think is a fair statement. It actually says, Uttlesford's Conservatives have a good record in many areas, but the administration's disappointing conduct with regard to the emerging district plan is in danger of eclipsing its achievements. And I think, I suppose, on the negative side, if, if there is Councilor to be a negative side, then I, think it is I don't think it's being really remembered for the local really plan is time for that, that uh, so is necessary. But perhaps we should, perhaps we should save that happy discussion retirement. for another time. Councillor Lim. <coughs> Thank you, Chairman. I would, you know, I'd just like to on behalf of the independent group to thank uh, Councillor Kettridge for his work and his leadership over a long number of years and just say congratulations and well done and I know you deserve your retirement so thank you. Thank you. As I have been Jim's deputy as long as he's been leader of this council I want to say it's a very sad evening for me as well. He has been a superb leader. We've um, had our differences on some things, but my goodness, life wouldn't be a true place if you didn't argue about something. But he's always good. He'll listen to you. He'll put his side. He'll think about it, and he'll go away. And he always listens. And he always listens to anybody that bothers to knock on his door and come in. And it's a very sad day for me as well today to see him go. But thank you, Jim. I've enjoyed my time with you. We had some grim times, um, and it's a great shame that um, uh, there were grim times, but we've come out of them, we've gone there, and we've come up, and we're now at the top. And I want to see this council stay at the top for a lot longer. Thank you, Councillor Cheatham. Uh, we now move to the election of the Leader of the Council. Yes, thank you, Chairman. I, th I think it falls uh, to me as the outgoing Chairman to propose, uh, Chairman, to propose to you, Members, that uh, Councillor Howard Rolfe uh, become the uh, leader, next Leader of the Council this evening. Uh, Councillor Rolfe has been a very efficient and loyal member of, the, uh, of this Council. And, uh, and has, as you as members are aware, uh, been uh, uh, both a chairman and a, a cabinet uh, member for the, for the uh, duration uh, of this administration. 
Chairman, I don't think I really need to say uh, any more than that, other than that, um, you know, as I, said, as I said earlier, I wish Councillor Rolfe very well. Uh, we are putting the Council into capable hands, and Chairman, I move. Thank you. Do I have a seconder for that? Councillor Cheatham. Uh, can we move to a vote to elect uh, Councillor Rolfe? Don't need to? Okay, fine. No vote. <laughs> yeah, that makes it easier. Um, Councillor Rolfe. Thank you very much, Chairman, um, and thank you very much, Members, uh, by uh, electing me by default, uh, relief not to have uh, an election. Um, I will endeavour to be as professional and as effective as I am able in undertaking this role. My first announcement uh, as leader is to appoint Councillor Susan Barker as Deputy Leader. I look forward to working with Susan and indeed everyone uh, in the Council. I have a very tough act to follow. Jim Ketteridge has been an outstanding leader for seven years, taking UDC from a challenge to a considerable success. We've heard some of his, uh, <coughs> his career, but he, uh, I'll just repeat that he joined the Council in 79, having already been on Saffron Walden Town Council for three years. Jim's ward is Saffron Walden, currently Shaw Ward. He's been Mayor twice and is highly respected, not just for his political work, but his input to charities and the community. Support and good humour has benefited the council as well as the whole district. Behind every great man, there is a supportive family so I'd be grateful, Andrew, if you could pass on our thanks and appreciation to Marilyn and the rest of the family. I, I know at times it must have been tough, but uh, we're very grateful that you lent us Jim for all that time, and we very much appreciate it, and please pass on our thanks. Jim, I'll do my very best to protect your legacy. I've very much enjoyed working with you, and I wish you the very best in your post-leadership period. Thank you. May I um, add my thanks to uh, Councillor Jackie Cheatham, who has been an, out, an excellent deputy, and I know her steadfast support has been very highly valued by Jim. I'm very pleased to say that Jackie remains in the Cabinet with responsibility for aviation. Three other announcements, if I may. I've asked Councillor Vic Ranger to join the Cabinet will take over my responsibilities for communities and partnerships and I'm sure will do an excellent job. In due course uh, I will announce deputies after obviously consultation uh, for each of the portfolios. Uh, at the moment there are two vacancies for aviation and housing. I'm also keen to appoint a lead member for specific areas, subjects such as sport and health uh, and I'm sure there will be other uh, subjects uh, as well. Uh, tonight, it gives me pleasure to announce that uh, Councillor Jan Menel will be the lead member for Families and Children and is the first of those lead member appointments. Finally, uh, I'd like to echo Councillor Kant's thanks uh, and congratulate uh, Gaynor Bradley, 
Lisa Lipscomb, Richard Orty and Lisa Cleaver for the very excellent preparation and execution of arrangements for the Tour de France. It was a great day, seemingly enjoyed by everyone, and we even have photos of Saffron Walden in French magazines. As many of you know, uh, Lisa Cleaver is now on maternity leave, and I'm very pleased to welcome Daniel Barden, who's sitting over there, formerly of the Saffron Walden Reporter, poacher turned gamekeeper, and to, to UDC to uh, cover Lisa's time away. Ladies and gentlemen, I thank you. Do you wish to move chairs, or are you happy where you are? Okay, very good. Um, Chairman's announcements. Well, I don't have any particular announcements other than to say I'm now realising just how big Essex is, um, travelling around it to these various events, uh, having attended everything from the Jack Petty Awards uh, to uh, various civic uh, services to the Saffron Walden Rotary Club Awards here, uh, numerous AGMs and a very uh, pleasant uh, musical evening at Thaxted uh, Church, which I would certainly recommend that you visit. Uh, I too was uh, attended the uh, Tour de France, which was absolutely superb. Uh, it was a great day, and I think Saffron Wardeners should be very proud of the numbers that turned out uh, and displayed uh, fine enthusiasm. Uh, also, lastly, uh, being chairman does have some perks in that uh, I was a VIP guest at uh, CASFest, a music festival, which, which pleased my daughter no end. So that's the end of my announcements. Uh, now move to matters of report from the Leader and members of the Executive. Chairman, I don't uh, have anything to add to what I've already said, so we'll pass on to the Executive. Barra. Thank you, Chairman. Um, Chairman, I just wanted to, I'm sure members have read my report. I just wanted to add one thing to that, and that's that uh, next Monday, the 21st, um, we... Mr Taylor and myself are attending a presentation at the County Council which will tell us the outcomes of the Gypsy and Traveller Accommodation Assessment. This is an Essex-wide assessment and basically it will give us the number of Gypsy pitches that we need to provide over the next 20 years. Um, I will be briefing the press on Tuesday but before that, sorry, before that I will... Um, communicate to all members the outcome of that and the process as we move forwards with that assessment. Thank you. Councillor Cheatham. Thank you. Just to add to my report that um, since the report went out, we've, I've had an email from uh, Jeremy Pine to say that um, <laughs> the government today has announced um, that the future night flight restrictions at Heathrow, Gatwick and Stansted have been rolled over for another three years, I think, is, if I read this right. Yes, three years regime until 2017. Um, so it will be as is. And, uh, but they are confirming that there will be an extension to the ban on rare movements made by older, noisier types of aircraft. I will get Jeremy to write us a note and send it round to all... Uh, members, because I know those in Thaxted are very keen to, to find out what happens with regard to that. Also, as I highlighted, we're going to have a special snack 
SNAP meeting on the 19th of August and that will start at 7pm. And please, can I urge all members of the council, especially those that live in the south of the district, um, we will have a discussion on the proposed change, I put in inverted commas because the Nats are saying it's not quite a change, it's just a tweaking, but I think there will be some gainers and some losers on that and I think we need to have a frank discussion before we formulate our response to government with regard to that or to NACs with regard to that and also MAG will be announcing their sustainable development uh, plan old that's new language for master plan um, in I think the 28th of July is the date they're doing it and therefore we will be looking at that and making our responses to that. So please, could you all pop that in your diaries if you're around? I hope you're not on holiday. I've just cancelled mine. 19th of August. Thank you. Uh, is that on Jackie's? Yes. Chairman, I don't seem to have a copy of Councillor Cheetham's report. I wonder if she could furnish me with one. On the back. Ah, latest papers. Thank you very much. Just received it. Thank you. Councillor Easton, can you just take your microphone? Thank you very much. Councillor Redford. Thank you, Chairman. Um, I haven't got a lot to say. I just wanted to do for fear of being really boring and repetitive. I have um, emailed out to all members um, again about this Thursday's workshop that we're doing for um, reviewing our allocations policy. And this is something that we're, I'm sure all of you are regularly being challenged on about how we allocate our council houses and, and other um, properties. I would really appreciate as many members as possible to turn up for that meeting. I've, I've got um, Ros to make it later in the evening than she wanted. It's 7 till 9 so that um, no one has an excuse not to attend. It has gone out to you all three times in various emails, so I'm sure you're aware of the date, although someone today did claim they hadn't heard about it before. Um, so I would really appreciate it if you could attend on this Thursday evening between 7 and 9 here. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we'll move now to members' questions of the leader, uh, members of the executives and chairman. Are there any questions? Yes. Councillor Macron. Sorry, I haven't got my glasses. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I'd appreciate it if you'd cut me a little slack. I'm not 100% at the moment for obvious reasons. Uh, I contacted Councillor Cheatham the other day with some concerns that I had. I Quoting from a local government association guidance on the uh, constituency of the planning committee and uh, with members of the executive. And it said that for an executive to be on the planning committee, this would be the exception rather than the rule. However, as an executive member would need to watch out for conflicts of interest, there's semicolon, I am unaware of circumstances where an executive member is also chair of the planning committee. Given that there is an express prohibition against the executive as a group undertaking planning committee functions, it would appear contrary to the spirit of the regulations for an executive member to take so prominent a role as chair of the planning committee. Subsequently jotted down for myself, I asked the chair of planning for clarity regarding the conflict between LGA regulations and the fact that UDC currently sees fit to have a member of the executive chairing the planning committee. 
it appears to me that LGA guidelines are uncompromising. The executive are prescribed from interference in planning matters. Indeed, the LGA has no record of a local executive representative chairing a planning committee, yet this is a situation that pertains at UDC. I requested clarification from the current chair of planning on the 11th of July, but at the point of writing this, I've received no response despite reminders. I've now had a response. I take the view that the planning committee of UDC is currently not fit for purpose being chaired as it is by a member who is a member of the executive indeed was then deputy leader the decision of the new leader to appoint council ranger to full cabinet can only worsen the situation i would suggest that the council needs to review the constitution of the planning committee as a matter of urgency as it would appear that lga guidance prescribes the inclusion of councillors cheatham and ranger the consequences of failure to address this matter will possibly lead to legal challenges to all planning authority decisions taken that include the above named councillors thank you um, I'm assuming that was a question, so Councillor Cheatham would like to respond. Right, as I responded to Councillor Macmond at 5.40 this evening and pointed out to him that I actually have my daughter and my grandchildren over from Singapore at the moment and I actually went away for the weekend to look after my children, which I don't actually get to see that often. I believe as councillors we are allowed some time off. I also checked my records when I had time and I went through them and all, away, all along since I have been in the cabinet of this, this council I have sought legal advice on everything where I thought there might be a clash. I have gone to our legal officer and I have had it clarified that I have worked completely within the law and I have got a, a further... Um, longer uh, email from uh, Mr Perry who maybe would like to add something but I can assure you that I have taken legal advice the whole time and in fact there are other authorities around this area that have members of the cabinet on their planning committees. It is not unusual. Mr Perry do you wish to uh, add? Jeremy, yes, I'm not aware of the guidance that Councillor Macklin's referring to, but I actually quoted to Councillor Cheatham this evening an extract from the LGA um, and uh, Planning Consultants' guidance on property and planning, issued in April of last year, which endorses the fact that it's proper for executive members to be um, members of the planning committee and members of uh, decision-taking committees. The only caveat that is given by the LGA is that where a member of the Cabinet is responsible for promoting the Council's own planning applications, that probably would be a conflict of interest, which would mean the member wouldn't sit, but that, of course, doesn't apply to Councillor Treatham. Thank you, Mr Perry. Are there any other questions? Councillor Kent. Thank you, Chairman. Um, mine is um, a question and a request for clarification. Um, it's to Councillor Barker. Um, you sent us an email um, a couple of weeks ago um, which was a sort of clarification saying if you have parking problems the place to go is the parking partnership if you have road safety problems the place to go is Essex County Council you shouldn't confuse the two because this raises undue expectations and delays etc. Uh, in Stebbing we have followed your um, advice unbeknowingly uh, the first time we invited the parking partnership was two years ago and they said, at the school in particular, they said it was a tragedy waiting to happen. You know, there were children running about and cars five deep in the 
um, entrance to the T-junction. Um, nothing happened subsequent to that, and, and I, can, I, I did email you, and, and I assume that in the grand scheme of things, there were situations which were even worse somewhere else, and they were the ones that got attended. Some weeks ago, the parking partnership was invited to come again and did, uh, and two of, us, two of them walked around the village with us, and again, in one particular place near the school, sort of said, my goodness, you know, you know this is absolutely dreadful. Um, at either end of the village, because we feel a whole village solution is necessary, there have been, within the last four months, two serious accidents one where a Ridgens lorry took the complete front of a car off, missing the person who was in the driving seat by about a foot. And had it been just a fraction of a second later, would have killed her. At the other end, um, the police were called to that. That is the fifth accident in that particular space. where And, and it's a very old listed house, which was built when, I don't know when pavements came in, but I think was built before pavements, and so the corner of the house, the pavement disappears, and the corner of the house is virtually the pavement, and it disappears as it goes on. At the other end of the village, which is the Branen Junction, where we have motorcyclists and people coming through on the Dunmotor Finching Field cycle run, a car crashed, um, was speeding along there, crashed into a wall and had to wait until the fire engine could come and cut him out and the police were obviously called to that. We're really concerned. We've done as you've said and again nothing has happened. The parking partnership went away and said they would consult highways. So really I suppose my question to you is when does a parking problem which causes highway dangers, where do you go? I mean, have we done the right thing and can we expect a response? Thank you. Thank you, Christina. Um, I think the, the issue here, I did actually have a meeting with uh, Andrew Taylor, who's lead officer here, and Shane Taylor, who's the lead officer from Colchester, um, a couple of weeks ago to look at the current um, applications for new traffic regulation orders. And you, some of you will have received correspondence from me on that. There are no new ones in Stebbing proposed at the moment. But we did discuss Stebbing, and the parking partnership is certainly going back to Essex, because my understanding is we did not, sorry, the parking partnership did not put in those restrictions around those houses where we are now having accidents. That was Essex that did those. Long before the parking partnership existed, Essex County Council was, was involved at that site. But if we can discuss it outside and possibly meet with Mr Taylor and see what the best way forwards now is, because I know that the technical officers from the parking partnership were going back to highways and saying, look, you've put these restrictions in. They're not working as you expected. How are we going to amend these so we try to overcome some of the safety issues? and still allow some people to park because there is the issue of on-street parking there and it's very limited for some of the houses. And uh, I wouldn't say it, but I think the parking partnership officer said, well, if it was me, I wouldn't have done it like this. But perhaps we can sit down together and ha have a look at the whole thing and see the best way forwards. Any further questions? Yes, Councillor Evans. Um, this is... Um, uh, question for Councillor Barker. Um, I was head of the scrutiny task group and we prepared a report on car parking. Now there were some minor recommendations that were implemented paying by mobile phone 
But what has happened to the other recommendations, for example, data with the parking partnership, usage, because residents are constantly raising parking issues and they want to know what has happened. Um, Chairman, I'm not sure what data from the parking partnership is requested. There were a number of recommendations. Um, the officers brought a report back to Cabinet. I know Councillor Mawson spoke there on your behalf, and that Cabinet report gave progress and updates on where we were moving. Some of those about car parking capacity. This Council has allocated £80,000 to walk it, looking at parking capacity across Essex, sorry, across Essex, just across Uttlesford. Um, and if there is any particular data you want from the parking partnership, I'll be pleased to, to provide it. But there was a full update on where we were and how we were moving forwards that came back to Cabinet. Um, thank you for that. But um, data was an issue with the parking partnership that was part of the recommendations that was going to be looked at. And I appreciate what you've said about the meeting at the Cabinet. But um, it, it is, uh, you know, I understand there's an £80,000 um, um, report that's going ahead, but it's, you know, it's a progress on that because parking is at the forefront of a lot of people's minds with businesses, with residents. So it's the progress for that. And would we be informed at scrutiny? Would the rest of us be informed? Because it's a really important issue. Um, if the Chairman of Scrutiny would like to invite me back to update her on the progress made, I'm more than happy to attend. I'm sure that's acceptable. Councillor Goldman. Uh, I can show you that we will not be leaving parking alone in this coming year. We will be revisiting it because there were several things that we brought out which Aris hasn't actually touched on at all, which were very vital to residents, which cannot be allowed to be forgotten. Okay, I think uh, Councillor Barker is, is going to come back on that. Excellent. Uh, any other questions? No, we'll move to, to uh, items 9 and 10, of which I believe there, are, uh, there is nothing uh, to be included there. So we move to item 11, which is uh, reports received committees and working group. And the first one on the list is the Standards Committee, and I'm assuming we're taking the report as read, but perhaps Councillor Lemon would like to add something. Thank you, Chairman. Yes, I, I, do not, I don't intend to read the annual report of the Standards Committee, because I'm sure you've all read it. Well, I hope you have. You should have done. Um, however, some new information has uh, been brought to my notice about the, our independent members. So I'd like to read a statement which really will replace future actions, paragraph one. There's been some concern from myself and other members about, uh, about the independent members of the Standard Committee. They were to end their term of office next May and we were told they would not be eligible for re-election. However, Michael Perry and I have looked again at the terms of office of these members and I have been informed that our, as our independent members have no voting rights, they will be able to be reappointed at the end of their term next May if they wish so and, and that the Council also endorses their election. So I, I just make it clear, our independent members can 
put themselves forward for election again, which is, I think, a very good thing. They're very good, our independent members. It will also save us some money in having to re-advertise. Um, one of the things that I think is important on the Sanders Committee is, is training, and particularly next year when we've got... We've, we may have a lot of new district councillors, parish councillors and town councillors. So I think one of the important things for our work next year will be to look how we can train these members in the Code of Conduct. Um, lastly, I'd just like to thank the councillors and the independent members uh, on, on, on the committee and also Michael Perry and his staff for their advice and work during the year. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Knight. Um, I would like to thank Councillor Lemon. I was very concerned when I read about the um, decision to uh, reappoint new um, independent members because it's a huge learning curve and the current independent members um, have served us very well um, and I'd like to thank Michael Perry for uh, um, offering them uh, more tenure. It's normal on most quangos for people to serve at least two or three terms. Um, and the cost of advertising, the stress for officers, and particularly the selection committee of which I chaired, uh, is an awful waste of a lot of time. Um, I would like to say it was new because many councils decided to drop the code of conduct. Our council decided to keep it, which I think is a good thing, um, but we were in um, untested waters uh, and rules were made at the time that we thought was satisfactory, but I feel they need to be reviewed because the fact that the independent members um, cannot vote is a little bit ludicrous uh, and I would like to request that we revisit that because there are other councils now that do allow this and I think it's certainly worth talking because I think these independent members are invaluable. They do save us a lot of time uh, and I'm sure are very welcome to uh, Officer Perry. Thank you. Thank you for that, Councillor Knight. Uh, okay, we move on to the next one, which is the annual report by Scrutiny Committee. And again, I'm assuming we're taking the report as read, but Councillor Godwin, is there anything you would like to, to add on that? Um, no, no I'm, I'm happy to answer questions if there are any. But mostly this year we have uh, focused on things which affect anybody who, is, who lives in this district, whether it is uh, things like ambulance services and GP services which are out of our control. And we like to think that to a certain extent we have made a, a difference because they have come and they have listened to us and we have been able to put the points across. They are still willing to come and still talk to us and hopefully that things will start to improve. The, high, the uh, parking project was our biggest it one. It took a lot of work and I do have big thanks to Councillor Evans and her group which worked, worked, sifted through m mounds of data and there are issues and they will not be allowed to go away, you can be assured of that. Um, we are, our main focus for the coming year is going to be a review 
of the day centres. We did have one in 2009, but there were a lot of issues there and there have been changes, and we need to look at how these are working, how effective the centres are, and whether they're meeting the needs of the people out there. Anyway, happy to take any questions if there are any. Are there any questions, Councillor Rose? Uh, thank you. I'm not quite sure if it follows into this, but the report says that Ernst & Young uh, accepted a 40% reduction in their audit fee. Um, congratulations on that, but what is that in monetary terms? I think we should save that question for Councillor Howell, which is the next item. So keep that in mind. Any more questions for Councillor Godwin? No? Well, we will move to Councillor Howell. We have uh, three items on the uh, agenda for the Performance and Audit Committee. Councillor Howell. Thank you, Chairman. Um, as you say, there are three items uh, which we are carrying over from the Performance and Audit Committee, and I will try and keep in mind Councillor Rose's question. How embarrassing because I don't have that number at the tip of my tongue. But anyway, um, the first item is a review of the financial regulations. Now, we reviewed this at the Performance and Audit Committee on the 15th of May. If I could turn you to page 18 and also the revised pack of papers, which include a copy of the, of the minutes of an extract, rather, from the minutes of that meeting and also the paper that went to the Performance and Audit Committee. Um, I'm sure you've all had plenty of time to read the financial regulations. There is a recommendation that they be approved by full council at this meeting. Are there any questions of Councillor Howe? Chairman, perhaps Councilor I can help Councillor Rose. It was approximately £40,000. It was from about 114 to about 64. That's phenomenal. Thank you very much. Okay. I was going to carry on to the second item because I assumed we just sailed through on the first Well, we haven't had a vote yet, but uh, I, I would like to ask one very quick question. Um, whilst it's not a regulation, um, do the uh, processes that we have uh, allow us to uh, flag up any business rate defaults before they uh, become a problem? The processes that we have allow us to identify the collection rates overall, so we can identify the percentage that we achieve. Um, so far as business rates are concerned, we have had regular reports throughout the year on two particular instances that I think you probably have not making reference to, and those are certainly routinely considered also by Cabinet. We have asked for routine updates from officers on those particular items, so far as smaller items of business rate um, arrears are concerned, uh, we do not have a process where they are formally reported to our committee, but I understand they are reported to Cabinet. Thank you for that. Um, the first item then is, to, is a recommendation to approve the financial regulations. So can I have a proposer and seconder for that, please? Councillor Howell and Councillor Ranger. Uh, can we have all those in favour, please? Thank you. Uh, Councillor Howell, item two. Thank you. The second item, again, is a referral from the uh, Performance and Audit Committee, and I'll, return, I'll refer you on this occasion to page 38, if you don't mind. And also, again, in the, re uh, the revised pack of papers, you will find a copy of the... Um, 
minutes or an extract from the minutes of the meeting on the 15th of May and also a copy of the report that went to the committee. This item concerns uh, recommendations to approve the revised contract procedures rules and again I submit those for approval by Council. Are there any questions on contract procedural rules? Yep. Sorry, we have one. That's right, I can't see you. Councillor Watson. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure whether I'm in the right section, but do we have any rules in relation to payments to suppliers in terms of timescales? I, I couldn't find them, and I wonder whether we have, and if you could tell me what they are. Gosh, you really are testing me this evening. Um, we again have a performance, uh, the performance and audit committee routinely reviews our payment terms and the, day, uh, the debtor days that, that apply. We follow government guidance on payment terms and I'm struggling to remember the details of what those, de those are. Um, I'm, I'm missing Stephen Joyce enormously at the moment, but we, we, <laughs> but we definitely do follow guidance so I can give that assurance. Councillor Rose. Uh, following that, um, small business payments, I mean, as a representative for businesses, uh, surely the council do sign up for, um, I think it's 14-day <coughs> payments for small uh, businesses, and it would be useful to have that clarified. Yeah, I think it's a good point. Councillor Knight. Forgive me for not standing up. It's such a performance at the moment. Um, the procurement, um, we switched from local many years ago to having a central purchasing procurement um, and uh, that normally works for a short while because they normally give very competitive rates and nobody bothers checking them uh, and they gradually find that local suppliers can supply a lot cheaper and I know we had a ridiculous situation with IT where I was... I had a problem and the chap came all the way from Devon or Cornwall to sort it out, which I thought was rather strange. I would like to ask what the current situation is. Um, do we still use a, just a central procurement service or do we try to put some business back in the local community? Councillor Howe. Now this is, really is testing. Somewhere in here, because I read it this morning... Page 41. Um, there is a reference to the fact that we always ensure there is at least one local um, contractor invited to tender, and that individual has to live within, or businesses within, a 20-mile radius of Dunmo and Saffron Malden. And that's probably the limit of my memory, but we do ensure that there is at least one local contractor invited for every tender. Councillor Chambers. Could I just say, Councillor Knight, we, we do specify about having local contractors where at all possible to uh, actually tender for the business. We look at it very carefully to decide whether that is value for money as well. Because obviously if we can give it to local uh, contractors, that is excellent. And I'm all in favour of that, and I'm sure the councillor as well. We also have a duty to look at value for money as well. So we have to be very careful which tender we do accept, which we feel is right for the district and also right for the taxpayers as well. Councillor Redfern. I'd also like to point out to um, Councillor Knight and everybody else that um, with our housing um, 
plans that we're doing at the moment. We had a very successful meet the buyer um, session here when we were um, looking for contractors to use on the development we're doing in Stansted and wherever possible in that, that was, that was all geared up towards using as many local people as we could on our housing development as well. Thank you very much. Um, I, I would also think that uh, any council having a contract procedure, uh, they would not be so onerous or complicated to deter small businesses from, from applying for the, uh, for the contracts. So. Um, on that note, uh, would you like to propose that we accept the uh, revised contract procedure rules? Propose Councillor Howell, seconded Councillor Barker. Uh, all those in favour, please? Thank you very much. And item three is simply a report from the Port Re Performance and Audit Committee. Uh, thank, Councillor Howell. Thank, thank you, Chairman. Um, this is the annual report of the uh, Performance and Audit Committee. Uh, again, I'm, as, as Chairman of other um, committees have suggested, I won't speak in detail to the contents. I'll refer you to each of the main headings, um, the Statement of Accounts, the External and Internal Audit Performance Monitoring and Risk Management. Um, I'd like to thank my uh, Deputy Edward, uh, uh, Councillor Oliver for his help and support, the, the, the benefits of having a, a qualified accountant as a deputy is ideally demonstrated in his ability to call it at a, at a moment's notice uh, the audit fees and I'm very much grateful to him and, and indeed as I am to all of the members of the committee for their support uh, and contributions to, to the meeting that we have. I'd also like to thank officers for their help and support during the course of the year. Um, I'm very pleased to submit uh, this report for acceptance by the Council. Thank you. Yes. Um, sorry. Councillor Dean. Thank you, Mr Chairman. It was a year ago that I, I resigned from the Audit Committee because I felt that when it carried out its uh, annual assessment of its own performance that it wasn't uh, as self-aware as it ought to have been and, and wasn't as objective. Uh, I have in recent weeks heard from officers that uh, that the committee this year carried out a self-assessment uh, and that it uh, did a better job. I haven't seen that self-assessment and it's not referred to in this annual report, whereas it was referred to in the annual report last year. So I would like to ask Councillor Howell why it's not in the report and how one can get hold of it in order to satisfy oneself that, uh, that the job's been done better this year. And while I'm on my feet, could I... Uh, ask a question which is referred to somewhere in the papers. It's about uh, the uh, topic that keeps coming up about bin collections. Uh, is there any, any truth behind the information that's been given to me that part of the reason why we get a high proportion of bins missed is, is because of staff, a high level of staff absent absenteeism which means that people are dragged in who don't know their rounds. Thank you. Councillor Howell. Uh, thank you, Chairman. Um, I'm not somebody who does detail, I'll be honest, um, but I do recall that, that Councillor Dean actually, I don't think, resigned from the Performance and Audit Committee. Um, he was removed from the committee by his group, 
and I'd, I'd like to um, pay tribute to, to Councillor Parr's contribution during the course of the last year. Uh, we received a somewhat unusual uh, press release from Councillor Dean. Um, it was almost North Korean in its flavour, and I wondered whether there'd been a coup d'etat or something like that, but I'm pleased to see Councillor Parr is here tonight. Uh, and I'd like to thank her for her contribution. Uh, throughout the year, I believe that she was objective and did not use this committee for party po political point scoring. I will, of course, um, be pleased to point out on page 54, the second paragraph of internal audit, the final sentence. It refers to the self-assessment that took place, um, and it is referred to in the report. Thank you very much, Councillor Howell. Uh, we move to item 11D, which is uh, an item referred from the Constitution Working Group. Um, would Councillor Monell like to speak to yes. that? Thank you, Chairman. I'd like to recommend the revised scheme of public speaking as explained in the report on page 57, final paragraph, and I would also like to ensure the scheme is adequately publicised and that an explanatory leaflet is issued for any participant prior to their attendance as described on page 57 and you will see a copy of that document in front of you but you will also see on the revised pack that I believe Councillor Cheatham will be putting an amendment to this. Councillor Cheatham. Thank you Chairman. Um, I note the findings of the constitutional panel and having taken soundings from a number of councillors I would like to put forward an amendment to this recommendation um, from the panel with regard to the amount of public speakers allowed on a planning application at the planning committee meeting. I would like to propose a pilot scheme that is more generous in that it allows a maximum of five speakers to speak for an application, five against, as well as the district, parish and county councillors and the agent. This pilot should run until the end of this council's term with a review next spring so that the outgoing committee can report back to the constitutional working panel before the council elections next year. The committee shall continue to have special meetings for large applications and I would like to add that this council was one of the first to introduce public speaking at committee meetings. I think the date was 2004 and it was under the term when our chief executive was the head of planning council and has never tried, this council has never tried to stifle debate, debate but I feel there must be a sensible balance between receiving relevant information and having too much repetition. Thank you Councillor Cheetham. Was that an amendment, did you say? What is the amendment? The amendment is going from three to five. So Thank you very much. Four, maximum, five, four, uh, four, and five against, plus the district, parish, and county councillor. Thank you very much. Does everybody understand that? Yes? Okay, right. Now, um, Councillor Perry. Thank you, Chairman. I just want to remind Council that Councillor Cheatham tabled this as a full motion which came before us recently and was well defeated as being undemocratic against the person's right to a fair hearing. To take this then to a constitutional working party after being defeated at full council is wrong. 
and undermines the full democratic process. I, as Chair of Licensing, do not have the benefit of time limitation and have to rely on licensing principles and still give the Speaker a fair hearing. I use such words as relevance and repetition to move the debate forward. The Chair has more than adequate means at her disposal to guide the meeting and give everybody a fair hearing. I am also concerned that a different set of rules will be implemented for major applications, which is a mistake. I will not be supporting this motion and I would like the amendment to show that the parish and town councillors do have a voice. Town was left out. Well, before, before, we, before we move... Did parish include town? I apologise. I didn't put the word town in. I come from a parish. I apologise. It says district parish. It should say town. Could I make an amendment to the amendment to put in town and county councillors, which sometimes, sometimes get forgotten, and the agent. And can I just please say that this was an urgent item that came from the planning committee meeting that went to the Constitutional Working Party. It was not only me, it was I recommended it and it was seconded by, I believe, Councillor Count. Okay, well we have this, this uh, amendment um, and I know people want to speak to the amendment. Could we have a proposer for the amendment, which is yourself. And a seconder. And a seconder, so okay, that's fine. Um, who's, who's next? Councillor Rich. Could I um, indicate whether or not I'm... Are we speaking about the amendment itself or are we speaking about the main motion? The amendment. I would, I, I would move to, to support um, Councillor Cheatham's amendment. Um, generally speaking, um, as you, you will know, Chairman, uh, fellow members, um, I've always spoken in favour of, of, of more democracy rather than less, um, and therefore I strongly support the idea of, um, of, of five rather than three. Um, I am concerned about any move to restrict um, advocacy before the planning committee, but if a pilot scheme can be found, which is found to work, um, practically on, on all but large applications when a different scheme as I understand it will be in, will, will be in place um, then I would like to see us try it um, obviously there are every planning um, application can generate people who object in different ways and as I've said in the past it would be quite wrong to try and limit it to one speaker who would, who would try and cover um, all aspects of what he or she had to say um, as well as um, all aspects of, um, of what everyone else who disagreed with him or her uh, might have to say too. That is obviously too much of an, uh, uh, of an order. I've made that uh, point before. But I think five people um, on all but large applications may be a workable number. Three certainly isn't. And uh, for that reason I would speak in favour of, uh, of Councillor Cheatham's proposed amendment. Councillor Watson. Thank you Mr Chairman. Um, we, are, we are not a company we don't have shareholders we have an electorate, the public and I believe the public have a right to be heard on fundamental issues that affect their lives and I think to move from a situation where people had the opportunity to come along and speak, both for but nearly, nearly always against I will accept it is quite wrong for us to give the impression that actually we don't want to hear from them. 
Many of the people who come along are experts in their field and they produce valuable information. Um, we heard from a speaker earlier on today about the effect of not getting the correct information. And I think a move to restrict public speaking at planning applications would be undemocratic and would be a disaster for the public perception of this council. I will not support this motion. Councillor Macron. Thank you, Chair. I would echo what uh, my fellow councillor just said. This is like the Irish referendum. This question has been asked once and roundly rejected. I echo entirely what uh, Councillor Watson just said. The public are entitled to be heard, particularly with planning applications. I will not support this motion. Up there, Councillor Rolfe. Um, I'm pleased to uh, second the amendment. I thank the Constitution uh, Working Group for their uh, um, <coughs> efforts, and, um, and I think it's right that uh, at this stage we rebalance to the point of uh, more than three. I support the idea that this is for a trial period. Uh, we should be aware that uh, many other councils indeed only allow one speaker for and against. Uh, so to put it in uh, other context, of course I absolutely understand what Councillor Mackmans and uh, Watson are saying and uh, we're very proud of our tradition of free speech and the democratic process. But I think uh, this is a balance. It is about having effective planning committees and um, they, we're not talking about the norm. We are, I think, probably talking about the exception. But if the meeting itself uh, is, is, is not of the... Um, uh, standards and professionalism, uh, not in its conduction, but in terms of the way it drags on, I, I think it upsets uh, those who come to speak uh, and is not quite understood by the general public. So uh, we have to find that right balance. Um, I think five speakers is, 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 is quite sufficient in terms of getting the core points across on, on any particular discussion, whether it's planning or anything else, to be honest with you. So for that reason, I think this is a prudent approach and uh, second the motion. Councillor Godwin. Well, having been on the planning committee for many years now, I can honestly say there are very few occasions when five people have actually come and wanted to speak. Mainly, there are just a few central people on the average planning application. On the ones which are out of the ordinary, the very big ones, there are many, many ways to re make your views known, and they are being known increasingly, and that is through emailing the councillors, which they do all the time, and which we all get at home, and we have all taken note on. After five speakers have spoken, they are so usually well informed these days that all the points have been usually very, very well made and the planning committee will have taken all of this on board. I think that the five is right. If it isn't, we'll find out, and we can bring it back to this council. So, yes, I should be supporting this. Councillor Ranger. Yes, thank you, Chairman. Um, I'd like to just bring a touch of realism to the um, awareness of how the planning committee has to deal with a major application when it's registered and we get it on the agenda we then can access or we should access the website look at the application in detail and if there were 300 letters of objection against a major application 
according to the view being expressed by certain members, presumably 300 people come along and speak and they would all be making virtually the same point. It, it should not be difficult for people who are wanting to express a view on a major application. There will generally be within the same area and therefore they should look to consolidate their thoughts together, elect a spokesman and then reduce the burden on the day of getting the application given the full merit that it deserves. So I think five is reasonable. There, there are only so many planning policies that they may want to point towards to uh, object to an application. So five people with five minutes each should be able to sum up those policies that they feel um, apply in that case. Thank you. I'll just take two more and that's Councillor Kant first. Thank you, Chairman. Um, I've been a member of the planning committee for about 19 years now and I think uh, from talking to other members I think we all work in a similar way and that is we read everything that comes to us before the meeting. I try and read it twice because I find on a long report reading it once isn't enough. When you read it most of us tend to annotate those pages and any questions that are raised within the report we make a note of and we raise at the meeting. At the meeting which I think triggered this, although I know Councillor Perry, it was raised some time ago, but I think then there has been a meeting which rather alarmed us all and, and triggered this proposal. And that was when I left home at 8 o'clock in the morning to get here for, to leave early for site visits and I actually got home just before a few minutes before nine o'clock at night. Now one cannot pretend that one is making good decisions when one has been at it for 12 hours. The other thing is if, if we could somehow um, within Uttersford Life or something actually do an article which says there are various ways you can contact and make your f feelings heard at the planning committee and the best way to do that is to write so that members actually get a copy of that so they can read it at their leisure, annotate it and raise and, and we often do say, you know, a parish council member or something has raised this. When we have 36 people speaking as we did at one of these planning applications, it's not exactly that you lose the will to live, it's just that there is so much information you can take in and process and actually evaluate within that time as you could if you had stuff to read. The other thing that concerns me about this is on an application, as Councillor Godwin says, for most applications this really will have no relevance at all because five people is probably as many as we yet to speak on most planning applications. I think when it's likely to be more, we do need a process where these people can be put in touch with each other so that if there are seven and we only allow five, then those two people can somehow get their views to someone else and, and if there are any fresh issues, they do get raised. And of course there's absolutely nothing to stop those members um, sending. I mean, on some applications I think I got about 80 letters through the post and all of those, you know, the planning committee does read. There are very few people that come to the planning committee unprepared. 
And so I, I think, you know, it's about the west, best way to get that information. And I feel having 36 speakers at a meeting is not the best way to get people's views in front of the planning committee members so they can make good decisions. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, last one is Councillor Easton. Thank you, Mr Chairman. There have been lots of valid points made by uh, most of the speakers today, including Councillor Watson and Councillor Mackman. Um, I will support this amendment on the understanding that this is on a trial basis, and I would like the trial to be specified length of time. Councillor Kant made a point that I was going to make. Uh, I won't go over it. Um, about the duplication and those who want to make points liaising with those who have already got the slot. I will support it, as I say, but I would like to see a, a length of time for the trial specified. Can I just respond to that? What I put in was the spring of next year when I think that we should do our research. Now, I can happily put a date in if somebody can quickly tell me um, when Easter is next year and we could stay before Easter and then the officers have a month. Uh, or Is Easter early next year? I, believe yeah, I, mean, I would like to see the end of the year, end of this year. Can, can I, I think that is up to the officers. I don't think I can do that on the hoof. All I can do is propose what I have done. Um, and I spoke to, um, um, when, I, when I did this, I spoke to, to officers about it. Um, because the last thing I want to do is strive for debate, but what I want is good debate. And <coughs> Councillor Kant is absolutely right on that particular day I left at half past eight in the morning because I had a briefing beforehand and I got home at nine o'clock at night and we all had 45 minutes off during the day. Now actually I think some, um, uh, some employees might come under a bit of a problem on that because that is a long day for anyone. But I will um, ask the Chief Executive to explain how we could do this. Thank, thank you Chairman. The, the, the motion, uh, members, I think, talks about this being a. Um, the, the, we, we report back to council uh, before the end of next of next year. So my suggestion would be that um, the, this trial run period runs to the end of the council year uh, when there's an election, and we we can pick it up then. And, and in the course of that, we can. Um, Perhaps the Constitution Working Group can look at this again and make a recommendation, I think, as, as the amendment says, to the new council. Father, having a number of discussions in my left ear. Thank you, members. No. No. Um, Councillor Manell, I believe, would like to sum up. Thank you, Chairman. Just as a point of procedure, the amendment will obviously be put first. If there's a majority, is it in order for me to withdraw the recommendation? It will supersede it. Yeah. Um, before we move to the vote, one of the, the I was a little concerned about this myself, but I did ask uh, the procedure, and apparently the chairman does still retain discretion as to how many people speak. And uh, I must admit that put my mind at risks uh, at rest. So. Um, so I'm assuming that the chairman will use that discretion wisely during the pilot period. So I'd now like to go to the vote, please. Uh, those in favour of the amendment? Yeah. 
No, no, until the end of the year. Chairman, for, the, for clarification on timescales, it will be at the end of the council year, which will be in May when the election is over. I'll now move to the vote. And this is the vote uh, to vote for the amendment, which we have a proposal and seconder. Those in favour? Any against? Thank you very much. Do you wish me to propose it again, or does it is okay? So we just have to go for another. Vote. Okay, we have to go again. Those in favour, please, of the substantive motion. As amended. Against? Thank you very much. The motion is carried. To item 12, which is to note the election of Councillor Dean as leader of the Liberal Group and to consider a request of the group to substitute Councillor Dean for Councillor Parr on the Performance and Audit Committee. So I assume that's a quick vote. Yes. Um, those in favour? Any against then? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Item 13, appointment of S151 officer, Chief Executive. Thank you, Chairman. Um, as we've said earlier on in the meeting, this is a statutory post and there is only one person able to fill it, Mr Webb, who has already filled this post in the past and filled it admirably and the recommendation is that the Section 151 officer falls within Mr Webb's role. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, Councillor Watson. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, I fully appreciate there is only one possible candidate for the current post, but I would like to see the word interim put in this particular report that's put before us. I have a considerable experience in investigating complicated and serious fraud, and I included three and a half years working on a public sector corruption unit, which was a national body investigating corruption, believe it or not, in local authorities. Much corruption is caused by a lack of supervision of what's going on, and we have just had almost a perfect number of years of a man who was a master of his, of his task. What we appear to be doing here on a temporary, well it doesn't say on a temporary basis, it appears to be on a permanent basis the way the report is written, is actually taking someone out of the management chain and a job is being slightly subdivided among others. That cannot be good practice. We are a council which took out waves, swathes of management at the right time to reduce it down to a very manageable level and to now take out one further manager with who had a specific role, is very dangerous and I think very unsound. 
and I think we should put the word interim in here because we should recruit an officer that does exactly the same job that Stephen Joyce did, same terms of reference, and hopefully in the same magnificent way that he did it. Councillor Chambers. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Mr Chairman, I'm happy to propose this uh, proposal, uh, and I'm also happy to put the word interim in there. As was stated earlier on, we have a new leader this evening. It will be up to the leader to discuss with the chief exec the way forward, which will come back to this council. But I'm more than happy to put the word interim, section 151. As long as we have a statutory 151 officer, then that is the only, the only requisite in law. But I'm quite happy to put the word interim in there. I so propose, Chairman. Seconder being Councillor Rose. Right, um, in that case then. I, I, if I may, I, I respect the Council's position, but uh, I would uh, think that the, putting the word interim is neither here nor there. Um, Mr. Webb, we, we need a, a Section 151 officer. I don't want people to think this is a temporary post. This is a permanent. Um, the, the statutory post is a, is a statutory requirement. We can't keep making interim appointments to it. And I've you know, if, in the fullness of time, when we when we've finished the review of things, it is felt that uh, we should have a separate section 151 officer with similar um, responsibilities to the previous post holder, then that is what we'll do. And I wouldn't want that time limited. And I think this post should be the section 151 officer. But if members think the word interim would help, then 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 by all means. But I, I, it's. Uh, Mr. Webb is perfectly capable and doesn't need that, that, that term doesn't need to be put in front of the post. Thank you. Councillor Chambers, do you wish to uh, add or withdraw? I, I hear what the Chief Exec is saying. I don't disagree with him, but on the other hand, there is no reason why you can't have the word interim in there. As long as we have a Section 151 officer, if at a later date, and I don't know, if at a later date it is decided that it would be more advantageous to the Council to have a separate 151 officer. That is entirely would be up to the Council and obviously the leader to discuss with the Chief Exec. So I still think we can... The Chief Exec has said that although what he said before, he, he doesn't... There is no reason why we can't put interim in there. And if that satisfies people, then I think that's the right way forward. Councillor Watson. Thank you, Mr Chairman. I'm quite satisfied with that, that amendment. Um, it is something I will come back to if interim turns out to be long-term, because I do think it is our duty to recruit an officer to full provision that was already held. I think we're taking unnecessary risk. This is public money, not our money. But I fully accept what Councillor Chambers has said, and uh, I will support that. Uh, just from my own point of view, um, I don't think it's necessary to have interim in the title but certainly it can be on an interim basis. So on, <laughs> so on that basis, um, can we have uh, all those in favour? Thank you very much. Congratulations, Mr Webb.
Uh, another quick vote, I think, item 14, to agree an amendment to the committee timetable to change the date of the scrutiny committee on October the 14th to the 7th. Uh, thank you very much. Um, now another quick one. <laughs> um, publication of members' attendance records on the Council's website. Who wishes to speak for that? Can be me again. It's not my night, is it? Members, I wrote, well, we wrote to you a um, few months ago raising the issue of publishing records of members' attendance and the results, the resulting emails were not favourable in many, ca in many ways. Um, we have a report before you um, which explains some of the background to this. Um, we did lose a member recently who failed to turn up for six months and uh, we were looking at ways of how we can do that and keeping a record of attendance is one of them. Um, there are provisos set out that we're proposing to add to, to a list and that's set out in the report. I think members are all familiar with what is proposed and I have nothing further to add to the report. Um, there, there is no recommendation. It's for members to determine whether or not a summary of their attendance should be made public, bearing in mind that... Uh, subject to any FOI requirements, we would need to make this public anyway. Thank you, Chairman. Does anybody wish to speak? Uh, Councillor Knight. Thank you. I have absolutely um, no problem um, with uh, the um, things being recorded, but I have a problem with the fact that it was just going to be um, the council meeting where you have a situation where somebody turns up just for six meetings a year and does absolutely diddly squat for the, uh, anywhere else. Um, there are many of us have other things. We represent, we are the uh, Uttlesford representative on voluntary groups outside. Um, some of us have quite serious concerns in our uh, Wards. Um, um, we, have, we are asked by the chairman of the parish councils to attend. We, I, when I mentioned this, I was told by one member of the cabinet that we should only deal with district council, um, and yet we've got a leaflet that we're sending out saying that councillors are el elected to represent you and the rest of the constituents. Um, I take my job very seriously where my um, constituents are concerned. Um, so what I would like to propose is um, so that if there's an attendance record and somebody doesn't attend a council meeting, there is a column where they can put the reasons why. Thank you. Uh, I'm not sure. Is that an amendment to the proposal which is to no. consider whether a summary attendance should be made public? It's a suggestion which I hope will be supported. Okay. Are there any other speakers? Councillor Barker. Chairman, um, as a former member of the Fire Authority, as a member of Essex County Council, it's not very difficult to find out how many meetings I attend. Um, I have no problems with this whatsoever. People put in as much as they you know, get out. I attend parking partnership meetings, gypsy and traveller meetings, I can't, which are not held here. I attend more parish council meetings, um, but we can't expect officers to keep track of those. So I think the very simplistic way forwards is just those meetings for which, and it should be made clear, those meetings which councillors would be expected to attend here 
not the number of meetings, but if somebody is only on council and doesn't sit on a committee, then it will be six, and we can see if they've done six. But it should only be, of course, those meetings that they are expected to attend. And it's not as if we're going to put it on the front page of the web. You know, it's, it's not going to be there. It will be published, and if somebody goes and looks for it, they will find it. But I'm not sure that many people go trawl our website. But let's be honest about it, shall we? But I, I'm sorry, Chairman, I quite like Councillor Knight's suggestion that if there is a methodology for, you know, if you have broken your leg and you're in hospital, otherwise there are only six council meetings a year, you should be here. Councillor Evans. So that I, I, I would support Councillor Knight because um, I was on my way here back from work and there was a crash on the M11 and I got stuck for goodness knows how many hours and I just couldn't get here. So... Uh, you know, sometimes those reasons are really valid and I just couldn't get here that day. Councillor Watson. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, I'm totally in favour of our attendance at council meetings being notified. However, this is much too simplistic. The person who takes the minutes knows exactly which councillors are there, knows which councillor turns up to speak, knows which, which councillor actually participates without being a member, when they finish the minutes and do the minutes, it is a matter of moments for them to transfer that onto whatever website we're going to use. So they could actually record a council's attendance at any meeting that they turn up. People shouldn't have to look through pages of minutes to try and find whether I turn up at planning meetings. I come to the odd one or two. I speak at the odd one or two. That is well known and should be recorded. It's things like that. If we're here and we're participating in a meeting, it is known by the person who takes the minutes and their duty should involve report, recording it on some sort of spreadsheet. Very simple. Most other organisations would do it as a matter of course, and we should do the same. This is too simplistic. Hmm. Thank you. Um, Councillor Rich. Thank you, Chairman. Um, I support, um, like the previous speaker, um, the principle that um, people's attendance at meetings should, generally speaking, be recorded in a way which is intelligible. Um, and I would just like to sign one note of caution. There have been a couple of instances during this um, council um, period where I've actually been at a meeting and been minuted as having attended um, and um, re regrettably not been marked as having attended in the, in the actual heading of the... Um, of, of the minute and it would be nice to know um, how the figures that are going to be published about a particular council or are made up um, so that that can be so that the accuracy of them can be can be looked at before they finally go live because if someone is published as having a very poor attendance record um, I, I, it is going to un, undoubtedly be something of which political use is made, whether by opponents politically um, or, or by people looking to generally criticise councillors of whom there are uh, many who d don't seek to involve themselves specifically and directly in the democratic process. Um, I, I like the idea of perhaps um, councillors' attendance at meetings that they don't have to go to, or which their attendance is not expected being recorded, but I don't think that it's going to be easy to develop a scheme whereby that could be done. I mean, what is being postulated? Is it being postulated that there should be some sort of additional column um, where someone's attendance at a meeting they weren't expected to come to necessarily um, should be recorded? Because I can see how that might be politically used 
um, as well if indeed that particular um, councillor claims expenses for, for attending meetings. Um, we all come along to, to, to planning meetings when important things involving our wards and um, uh, whether directly or indirectly are, are involved. Um, and there are other meetings that we, that we come along to as well. Um, there should perhaps be some sort of standard that is published, but I do think at the moment that what is being proposed is rather a raw tool and we should probably think about it a little bit more before we suddenly go live with it. Um, and I have an open mind about how I'm going to vote. I'd like to hear what other people have to say, but I, I, I have heard what uh, Councillor Watson has to say, and I, I, um, I think his, his words, as often, are, are wise words. Councillor Roth, if everybody else can turn their uh, this, this, off. This, this is a tricky one, because I think we're all in agreement that we should uh, publish what we do. Every other council does it, and I think we all believe in, a, in an open and transparent system. Uh, taking Councillor Knight's point first, uh, I I'm not sure whether for every meeting uh, putting in an excuse is going to make particularly good reading, but I think where I sympathise with you is extended periods of absence, um, I think is a perfectly legitimate point to make. Um, and uh, so I, I think that should well explain that, not necessarily for every individual meeting, which is a series of different reasons. Um, picking uh, up Councillor Watson's point, I, I, I sympathise because in my old, old portfolio, uh, I looked after the local strategic partnership, which had four subgroups, and I tried where I could to attend each of those sub-meetings. Now, they wouldn't actually go in this list, and I think that the list is based on where we hand the book around, as it has been handed around tonight. So it's a, quite a clear definition in terms of who's there as against, uh, and indeed should you be there. So, for example, in my LSP meetings, Community Safety Partnership, Health and Being, whatever they may have been, should I have been there? Should that have come under the heading total number of meetings? I often turned up to them, but whether I had to have been there is a mute point. And this is where the grey area uh, exists. So I would like to propose, Chairman, that we pick up uh, Councillor Knight's point for extended periods away, that we start with uh, those meetings that are annotated by the book because it is the easiest to control. And again, let's come back, let's name a date if you want to, um, either uh, at uh, the end of this uh, um, uh, council year in terms of whether that was satisfactory and whether people want to do it in a different way. But I think we should agree tonight that we are going to be transparent. I think it's, it, it's folly that we, we, we are not and we should start that this year. Uh, and we start uh, with a, uh, a, a system that we can monitor that is fairly clear and we proceed on that if it turns out to not to be to your satisfaction. Thank you. I'll take one more, Councillor Godwin. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, to me, all of this is very simple that we should only be counting the meetings to which we are listed to be present. I, the committees that we're on, the working groups we've been detailed to, and that is all. I don't think that we should be putting on the times we went to uh, a meeting outside this council's control, the times that we went to other boards which are loosely associated. I think just the ones which it's all listed in the book here that's all you ever count, the ones you're put on to. And I thought that this was what we were going to be doing anyway from reading the report. 
So, uh, as per illness, I think only prolonged illnesses should be noted. Otherwise, the day that you had flu or that your mother-in-law wasn't too well and you had to go and look after her shouldn't be counting at all. But we have got to be very serious about this. Take the big things, take the ones we're allocated to and not the other sidelines because it's a bottomless pit. Okay, I'm going to ask for a vote on this now. Um, the recommendation is that members consider whether or not to, uh, a summary of their attendance should be made public. Um, that's the motion. There are a couple of suggestions, one of which is that uh, extended periods of absence should be possibly considered to be included, and also is, uh, it, it was suggested that the accuracy of the, uh, the document uh, or the web page uh, be assured. Um, so all those in favour of the motion to uh, publish the members' attendance. Thank you very much. Uh, and another quick one. Uh, item 16, to consider the following motion submitted by Councillors Dean, McMahon, Morrison, Parry and Perry. Um, Councillor Dean, I think, wishes to speak to this. Thank you, Mr Chairman. I'd like to table an amended version of the motion that is in front of you. I think officers have a, uh, a copy of the change. I'd like to... Leave, it at, leave paragraphs 1, 2 and 3 Sorry, as stated. Councillor I'm just being advised that our legal um, director wishes to speak. Sorry. Uh, Chairman, yes, unfortunately this was only handed to me as we began the council meeting, but the draft, um, what's called contingency amendment to clause 4, would be an unlawful uh, resolution of the council. What the, um, the resolution says is that the resolution of the planning committee was invalid and the Assistant Director of Planning and Building Control was not authorised to write to the Planning Inspectorate. What that's saying in effect is that the um, decision of the committee was ultra-virus and therefore unlawful, and that the action of the um, Assistant Director of Planning was ultra-virus and unlawful. And there is clear case law to the effect that a council cannot decide upon the legal validity of its own actions. Only the High Court can decide that on judicial review. Um, consequently, the council is not in a position to consider the validity of actions of the Planning Committee or the um, Assistant Director of Planning. So with that in mind, Councillor Dean, how do you wish to proceed? You can, you can vote it down. I, I think what we're saying is, is the contingency amendment which is put forward here to Clause 4 is actually invalid. It's a motion the Council does not have the legal power to pass because what it is saying is that the decision of the Planning Committee and the, the action of the Assistant Director of Planning exceeded the legal powers they have got and this Council does not have power legally to pass such a resolution. There's clear case law to that effect. I, I don't understand that either, Mr Chairman. Look, I'm not going to stand on ceremony. I'm going to propose the motion as it stands at the moment, rather than wasting everybody's time. I will publicise the, uh, the, the amendment, or maybe make it as an amendment later. Um, so I'd like to uh, propose this. Uh, bear with me a moment. 
<coughs> as it stands. Today's issue goes to the root of why this council exists, to represent the people who elected us, to do it in a way which earns the voters' confidence and trust. What happened on June 25th did neither. It has damaged the reputation of this council. The planning committee gives the... Actually, you should, Mr Chairman, uh, you should have asked for a a seconder before I uh, start speaking. Uh, do we have a seconder for this? Councillor Perry. Right, thank you. The planning committee gives the perception that it has been politicised, caught dancing knowingly or innocently to a tune played by the Cabinet through its officers. Politicisation of planning is contrary to the code of conduct. It's supposed to be independent of political influence. A failure by Uttlesford District Council to defend an appeal is unprecedented. What's the difference this time? The application was manipulated by officers and leading members last autumn to try to achieve approval of 800 homes at the Fairfield site at Elsenham and Henham. They failed in November to get the committee to reverse the October's refusal. Are we now meant to accept that the reasons for refusal won't wash at an appeal? Are we being asked to repudiate many of the Council's adopted planning policies in favour of a highly political, untested, unadopted local plan. According to Essex County Council, the untested plan cannot be delivered at the Fairfield site because road congestion will be severe and the plan offers no solutions. To table a proposal on June 25th under the disguised heading Legal Advice on Appeals was disgraceful, in my opinion. Note the plural, appeals. Was this an academic seminar about appeals in general? No, it was about a specific appeal. But its identity was hidden from anyone not on the committee or who had not been given privileged information to attend the meeting. The additional attendance on June 25th included the former leader of the council. Yet when Councillor Mawson asked Mr Perry last week if he could have attended, if he had known what was on the agenda, he was told no. Is it one rule for the executive and another for backbenchers? The planning committee has no locus in the conduct of appeals. Its remit is set out under government regulation to perform the development control function up to the granting or refusal of planning permissions. So what was the committee doing? Resolving, and I stress the word resolving, that the council does not defend the appeal at Elsinore. The responsibility for carrying out functions relating to appeals is delegated from this council, not the planning committee, to the assistant director, planning and building control. So the committee had no business passing such a resolution. I've been told that the assistant director was only seeking guidance from the committee. That's what the minutes say. That's not what the minutes say. The committee resolved. Why didn't the Assistant Director come to this Council to seek authority before writing to the Planning Inspectorate? Either way, the Assistant Director has made an unprecedented decision without, in my opinion, proper authority. He must be asked to account for his actions in due course. His job is to carry out appeals, not to avoid carrying them out. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here this evening to begin to repair the damage 
to restore some of the lost credibility of the, our Council. This is an early first test of whether the new leadership cares about the opinions and judgments of those outside the Cabinet and for the much larger public opinion beyond this Council Chamber. I move the motion and urge members' support. Councillor Perry. Thank you, Chairman. Let me say first and foremost that politics do not play any part in planning issues. So that is one of the reasons why I seconded this motion and I will continue to speak to it in that the Fairfield application was twice defeated by the planning committee, the last being eight votes to four. What has happened since undermines the planning committee in its role. It also places the committee's integrity and worth into account. A legal advice obtained puts money before people and a request for a second independent advice was refused. The LGA clearly states that the Localism Act transfers control away from county and district councils to the town and parishes and the public have to have a greater say, have to be heard and answers given to questions raised. This has not happened in this case. I was elected to represent not only the people of Saffron Warden but also Uttersford. I believe strongly in openness, fairness and transparency, little of which appears to be involved in this Fairfield application. I've spoken to a number of surrounding councils and have confirmed that this decision is unprecedented. Also, the Chair has been invited to the appeal hearing between councillors, officers and others. This, despite being predetermined, having voted for the application, is again unprecedented and has now been used twice. It is wrong to hide behind legal <coughs> privilege as the people have a right to know the truth. This will now lead to all sorts of accusations and misrepresentations. Although some of you I know will vote this down, I warn you that the public have long memories and next May will be a very difficult time for the Conservative group and others as well. The appeal will go ahead and objections raised from interested third parties who will contest this and will possibly influence the outcome. In the interest of fairness, I believe it is right for the public to know who voted in this motion, and I wish to re request a recorded vote. Thank you, Chair. Councillor Barker. Chairman, I'd like to propose an amendment to the motion. Um, Mr Snow has copies, and I'd, I'd like to ask him to circulate them before I speak to the motion.
Uh, I will need a seconder for this. Councillor Rolfe. Thank you, Chairman. Um, Chairman, I was quite surprised to see this item coming in front of us, and I, I think the matter actually is very simple. And I'd like to propose very briefly this amendment to the motion in front of you. We find ourselves in an unusual but not a unique situation inasmuch as it's been decided not to defend a decision at appeal. As we've heard from Councillor Dean, the Assistant Director of Planning has delegated powers and could have made this decision himself, but on this occasion chose to share Council's opinion with the Planning Committee to seek their opinion. As a member of this Cabinet, I first had sight of the Part 2 papers last week when they were circulated. This was along with other councillors. Prior to this, however, because this was beginning to flare up and motion had been put, I telephoned, not Alistair, because he didn't know he was back in circulation, I telephoned Julie, I telephoned Robert, I telephoned Howard, I telephoned somebody else as well, to say, have you seen these pink papers? The answer was unanimous, no. I didn't telephone Jackie, of course. I knew she'd been at the planning committee. I was made aware at the same time as any other councillor in this room not on the planning committee. I'm affronted by the suggestion that there is executive influence in, in this decision. As the original motion and my amended motion both emphasise the planning committee must preserve its independence from executive matters and party politics in line with codes and government regulation. Chairman, I believe that this decision planning was made correctly and without the influence of the executive and that we, as the motion states, note the matter. Thank you. Right, I have uh, Councillor Parr next. Thank you, Chairman. It is disappointing for me to be here yet again talking to you about the new town in Elsinore and Henham. I know you're all aware by now of how badly the residents of Elsinore and Henham feel they've been treated by this council. Residents were put through the stress of an application which will forever change their community, not once, but twice. The reason given to residents was because the committee had to be sure of their decision. After deciding on their reasons for refusal, twice, they have then chosen not to defend their decision as an appeal. However, they will be defending their decision on another application. This shows a clear preference and is pitting communities against one another. The actions of this administration's cabinet members have left the reputation of this council in the gutter as far as residents of Elsinore and Henham are concerned. At one of the planning committee meetings, I was criticised by one member for giving the residents of Elsinore and Henham hope where there is none. This planning committee member clearly feels that the Fairfield application will be going ahead no matter what the residents want to happen to their community. I can't blame the residents for feeling let down by this council. I feel let down by this council. Decisions about our future are being held behind closed doors. Our opinion has been deemed unimportant. Full Council's opinion has been deemed unimportant on this issue. This is not a council residents feel they can trust. This is not a council they feel has their best interests at heart. And this is not a council they feel has integrity. The slogan on the council's logo states, it's our community. It would seem that a select few have taken this literally, deeming that it is their community to do with what they wish. Council, I urge you to reclaim our community for the people who voted for us to represent them here. Please, don't support this amendment and support the original motion. Let's reclaim our community together. Thank you, Chair. I mean, as should be fairly apparent to most people, I wasn't at this meeting. I was unable to attend because I was in hospital being patched up after a fairly serious road accident. 
To be honest, I'm very grateful that I wasn't at that meeting because I can't be associated with what took place. I'm grateful for the opportunity to address Sport Council on a matter that I believe to be of fundamental importance. I hope that fellow members will recognise the significance of what is before us. The Planning Committee serves a specific purpose to approve or refuse planning applications, nothing more or less. Decisions of the Planning Committee have to be supported by policy derived from the adopted local plan. The emerging local plan currently has no place in the decision-making process. Recently, the Planning Committee were required to take a decision on whether or not to defend a planning appeal. Privileged legal opinion was provided, which essentially suggested that successfully defending the appeal would undermine the emerging local plan, conversely, that the allocation sites in the emerging local plan made it impossible to defend the appeal. Councillor Mackman. No, I'm not. Councillor Mackman, please. Uh, Some of these issues are um, part two issues. Right, well... And if you wish to discuss that, uh, we have to go into part two, so... Uh, which excluding the including the public. Disregard that statement, then. Can you be careful in future? Quite apart from the fact that the Planning Committee is not constitutionally able to take decisions on an appeal process, to suggest that matters relating to an unadopted plan with limited weight... Disregard that. I could question why the Assistant Director Planning took it upon himself to seek legal opinion to undermine the decision of the Planning Committee. I could question why the Chair of the Committee failed to recognise the innate wrongness of what was being proposed. The fact remains that for whatever reason the Planning Committee took a decision on June the 25th on the basis of clearly flawed legal opinion that regardless of the opinion the Committee was not permitted to take. Councillor Dean has provided an excellent commentary to the motion that explains what has been done. I fully support the motion and I'm grateful for the commentary which should remove doubt from members who might not routinely be involved in planning matters. For clarity, whoever might be responsible, a situation has arisen. I'll to disregard that. The local planning authority refused permission on robust policy grounds for a development on a specific site. I'm perplexed that office... This motion addresses the core function of this council who takes decisions, who is responsible. It's unfortunate... I'll have to to extemporise that. It's unfortunate that we've been put in a position where we're not allowed to discuss certain matters which should be discussed. I say... Sorry. I can finish this. I say that members are responsible, but we rely on honest, unbiased information in an atmosphere untainted by undue influence from any quarter. With regard to the decision taken by the Planning Committee on June the 25th, this was emphatically not the case. Could I, could I just remind that uh, any discussion of the planning decision itself is actually uh, part two? Uh, um, so, on that basis, uh, if you wanted to go to part two and to discuss that, then that's another matter. But in the meantime, I have a uh, Councillor Molson wishes to. Molson, sorry, wishes to. <coughs> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Mr. Chairman, I would like to appeal to this Council to assert their authority and dignity about the way this decision was made. It should cause this Council great concern. As a member of the Licensing Committee, I am aware that Mr. Perry has been given delegated powers by the committee to deal with minor offences and to avoid the committee meeting on a number of occasions. But with the slightest form of contention, he always refers the matter to a committee that has to be brought together quickly. I am not disputing, as uh, suggested, that Mr. Taylor does not have delegated powers to refuse to defend an appeal which he gets, of course, from full council. But rather, my concern is the way this has been handled, the way this has been done. 
This decision was a very significant matter of 800 houses, certainly in the initial uh, meeting, which would have led as a first phase to 3,000 houses. It should have been done in a more open and transparent manner involving this council. Mr Chairman, we have been told by Mr Perry that the client for the legal advice which was given was this council. It was requested by Mr Taylor on the council's behalf, yet it was never commissioned by this council, nor did any council members, with the exception of Councillor Barker, other than the planning committee, know about it, nor that it was going to be discussed as a part two item, as Councillor Dean has alluded to. Moreover, although the report was commissioned on behalf of the Council, not all councils were originally allowed to access it. I understand now this is the case. So although it was commissioned by the full Council, only members of the planning committee were allowed to see it. And I've been told by Mr Perry that was because they were the only ones who needed to see it in order to carry out their duties. However, we are the group that commissioned the report. If I commissioned a legal report and I didn't know I'd commissioned it, I never saw it and I didn't know what it contained, I think I would be very stupid. This is the first time a decision to refuse to defend an appeal, in Mr Mitchell's words, as long as he's been Chief Exec, has taken place. It also cannot be remembered if it's ever happened before in living memory, certainly not since I've been on the Council in 1995. It must not be underplayed. Moreover, it is a decision not to defend a committee's decision to turn down 800 houses, not just on one occasion, but on two occasions has been said. And can I add, the reason why it was called back for a second consideration was partly because it was in a, in a time of consultation, but the officers also stated they wanted to recall members to do this in an unprecedented way twice so that they could be sure of the grounds for their refusal. Now we are told that it's not possible to defend their refusal in an appeal. I urge this Council to take back authority and not allow secret and covert processes to undermine our authority as authorisers of these issues. Thank you. Councillor Rich. Thank you, Chairman. Um, fellow members, um, we as a uh, council individually, jointly and severally come to this um, building and we deal with very, very sometimes mundane matters for the good of the people that we represent. Um, we, uh, we, we, we discuss matters that uh, amount to hundreds of pounds and which may have no significant impact on people's lives, but we do that because we want to do the right thing. Everyone in the chamber does it, whether they be um, officers of the council, uh, members of the council, or, or, or even ordinary members of the public. They want to see the right thing done. And enormous effort is taken to make sure that the procedures by which that is achieved are correct and that it is seen to be done and that those people who should not be voting on particular issues do not vote on particular issues. Yet here we have a matter which involves hundreds of homes, which involves a very substantial proportion of the housing that we are going to be allocating in a particular area 
over the next um, period of the, of, of the plan, somehow uh, uh, circumventing uh, that process. And it is something which I would invite you to conclude um, was, to use a, a word which I used earlier, which someone didn't understand, but which I've now clarified, suboptimal. It is something that shouldn't have happened, and it's something that shouldn't be allowed to happen again. Now, I know that people are in, in dark places um, using all sorts of phraseology that shouldn't be used in my uh, experience, because I think that, there are, that everybody involved in this process has done their best, and they have done so honestly. But the fact is that this process is not something which, had, which has covered anybody in glory. Nobody can look at it and say, well, that's fantastic, um, wasn't it a good result, and didn't we all do well? Because I, th I think the fundamental problem that arose in this case is in fact something that people haven't mentioned yet, and that is the underlying decision of the planning committee. That is the central problem. And I think that part of that problem may have arisen because members of the planning committee who were minded to refuse this particular decision didn't necessarily get the assistance that all of us here would have liked them to have in producing stone-cold reasons that any member of the bar could recognise as being valid. Now, I'm not going to descend into things that are going to take this matter into part two at this stage, but what I am going to do is to briefly tell you a story about a planning appeal that we all know about and which has been concluded and which couldn't possibly um, be regarded as being within part two. And it's the Benfield Green application that was resisted um, by uh, Uttlesford uh, District Council. And I have to say, I'm not the only person who didn't think that we did a very good job of defending it. And uh, there was an organisation which I wholly supported, uh, supported by a number of other people uh, in this room and outside, that applied to be uh, what's called Section 9 parties to that application. And Save Stansted Village did a fantastic job of defending um, the decision that the planning committee made in that case. And indeed, despite a lot of uh, difficulty involving the inspector, we persuaded him collectively. Councillor Dean was there. I was there. We were there for three days. We did a fantastic job of defending it. But I don't think the council did because they were falling over themselves at some point to make concessions that, in my view, as a lawyer and as a district councillor, I've got the point, um, should not have been made. And I think that there are parallels here. And I sent an email, um, and I, I don't want to stop pointing fingers, but I sent, it, I sent an email um, to um, the officers concerned, and I, I copied it to senior councillors. And I sought an undertaking that even if we were going to go down like a sack of spuds, um, in, in respect of this appeal, which is a course of action that I personally deprecate. But even if we were going to do that, that we should actually make a decision to be represented at that appeal and ensure that, for example, planning conditions that are appropriate are insisted upon, even if we are going to go down um, like the proverbial sack of spuds. And I have spoken to, um, to, to, to Mr Mitchell uh, before this meeting, and he has told me that it is currently not the Council's intention to do that, that our resistance um, to, to this will be, will, will be right, sorry, forgive me, but, but I, I, I would like there to be a situation where we are seen to be fighting our corner and doing so independently and regardless of, of what we might be about to decide in terms of the local plan.
Because I think that we, are, we must be in a situation where as a council we can resolve that housing should be in a particular place. We can do that validly. And we must be able to do that without prejudicing the existing planning process. So for all those reasons, I, I, am very, I retain an open mind, I should say that. But I am very concerned about what I've been hearing in dark corners and what I've actually heard openly. But the, the level of information that's been provided to ordinary councillors like me has actually, I'm afraid, on this particular occasion, not been as fantastic as it could have been. So I'm sorry to be in a situation... I'm very sorry as a Conservative. Um, I'm very sorry as a lawyer. I'm very sorry as a district councillor to find myself in a situation where for one, for one night only... I am making the remarks that I am making this evening. But I am very, very saddened to hear what I am hearing. It's going to have a major impact on my ward. And actually, I had absolutely no means of putting in my pennyworth in any way, shape or form until tonight. And that's why I'm putting my pennyworth in now. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to do so. Thank you. Thank you very much, Councillor Rich. No. <laughs> Councillor Evans. There we are. Some of what I'm going to say I realise some people have said before, but um, I'm going to be brief and sum it up for you. Um, it is unprecedented for this council to take a decision of such huge importance and significance to the planning committee on the 25th of June. The planning application was refused twice by the planning committee. This council has lost the trust of the community. It's been a total lack of transparency. It has left the community, which will probably be Save Our Villages, to defend the planning decisions on its own. Now, what kind of council allows this to happen? The council is saying to the community, we are no longer supporting you. You are on your own. And I agree with Councillor Perry. Perhaps the council should remember it is the community that elects the council members, not the other way round. We are here to support and represent our community. It is not the community supporting and representing us. Thank you. All, all I want to do... Pardon? Pardon? Yeah, right. All I'm going to say at this stage, on, because we're speaking on the amendment, is to, uh, to, to speak against it or to urge members to vote down this amendment, because this amendment, despite uh, the advice that Mr Perry apparently has given, uh, is to me just a simple negation of the original motion, because the original motion says that this process wasn't satisfactory, and this amendment says the process was okay, carry on, guys. So I do urge you to reject the amendment. Can you hear that? I'm pleased to announce I'm not a lawyer, but I did attend all three meetings, and I think at the first meeting the, the um, planning committee made an error of judgment, 
uh, and I understood how they did it, but they made an error of judgment. I think at the second meeting they made an error of judgment, and at the third meeting they got it right, and I support the motion from Councillor Barker. Councillor Ketrich. Thank you, Chairman. Chairman, I'm really disappointed in some, in some of the things I, I've heard, and particularly some of the things I've read. Uh, Councillor Dean does, uh, on his blog, uh, write some pretty outrageous uh, things. Uh, we've already heard from members tonight that uh, Cabinet members had no part in uh, this matter, didn't even know about it. And when we see Councillor Dean saying on his blog that it's a, a politicisation of planning at Uttlesford, I think that's actually an insult to the members of the planning committee who take decisions in good faith on every planning application. And I think some of the decisions that have been made uh, recently actually, actually reflect that. His blog, as I say, his, his blog says politicisation of planning and goes on to say, and I quote, politics in planning is not allowed. However, Councillor Dean ignores the fact that strategic planning policy is very much the, the province of political debate, just as it was for the short time he was leader of the council. However, the planning committee at Uttlesford is another matter, and I don't believe anyone could believe that it is politically driven, uh, given, uh, as I said a moment ago, given some of the decisions made. Therefore, Councillor Dean, you should give members of the planning committee some credit for reaching their own decisions, including members of your own group. Now, there have been talk about flawed decisions, um, Bentfield Green, which of course is an entirely different thing. Councillor Perry says he searched for similar precedents. Well, he didn't have to look very far because in the local press, in the Cambridge News uh, quite recently, there was a case uh, where Cambridge City Council refused a planning application three times. I'll, in fact, I'll read you what it says. It says, the planning committee refused two applications but then decided not to defend these applications at appeal and then rejected a third application only to choose not to defend this either. That cost that council £170,000 uh, in costs. Now, the planning committee were, were faced with the advice they were given. They reached that advice, they reached their decision on the advice they were given and, and therefore, members, I think that you should stand behind your planning committee who acted quite properly according to, to uh, uh, our legal officer and, uh, and our planning officers and, uh, and therefore I shall uh, be voting for the amendment. if the chairman wants to. Yes, we have a seconder for it. I'd like to draw uh, council back to the fact that this uh, original motion and indeed uh, the amendment is, is around process. Um, the, um, and we've heard, and I'll reiterate, uh, the assistant director of planning is perfectly entitled and legitimate legally um, empowered to make a decision not to um, uh, uh, join the, um, the, uh, the, uh, the appeal. And uh, that decision he took, 
And I think very correctly uh, then uh, referred that to the planning committee. I'm not going to get caught up on words in terms of whether they resolved or whatever he did, but he, he put it to the planning committee. I think that's a perfectly legitimate. We've talked about transparency and, uh, uh, and democracy this evening, and I think that was the right decision. Ironically, uh, if he hadn't done that and just made the decision, we actually wouldn't be having the debate tonight. Uh, so he did that. The planning committee came to their decision, I'm not able, we've uh, read the pink papers but I can't refer to them, uh, so I can't refer to why they came to that decision, but they did, and that was the process and that is why uh, I s support the amendment, because uh, we fully endorse the fact that um, planning committees are independent of the executive. I never saw the papers, I'll endorse what uh, Susan said, uh, and in fact uh, the um, Councillor Ketteridge has been absolutely insistent that there isn't executive influence uh, on planning matters. Of course, uh, the detail of the plan came to this council and we made a decision on that about three months ago. Uh, so uh, at that point, we, 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 we are involved, but in detailed planning applications, of course, we are not. Uh, a good example from Cambridge City. It's cost them a lot of money. They've been made... To, they, basically, they have compounded a problem. And I take uh, uh, Councillor Rich's point that uh, there have been problems and I suggest that we don't compound it any further. So I support the amendment. Who's that? Councillor Perry? Councillor Wright. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Councillor Wright. <laughs> Thank you, Chairman. Just a few points. Um, it's a pity that uh, Councillor Parr won't keep picking old sores because... What she said was taken out of context. If there's a site in the local plan um, and it, support is given to, uh, quite vociferous support, given them saying there won't ever be any houses here, that's giving hope where none should necessarily exist. Um, one councillor said he can't associate himself with... He wouldn't have been able to associate himself with the decision had he been there. On that point, I would say he then he shouldn't be associating himself with the council per se. Um, and the Irish referendum question, the Irish referendum question, um, we've heard that one councillor requested another legal opinion. So, yes, get another legal opinion until you get the answer you want. You can't keep on and on. We acted in good faith on the evidence we had and that was not a political decision. It was the decision of the planning committee and it was quite overwhelming. It was a recorded vote. It's in the minutes. That's all I need to say, Chairman. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll, t this, I'll take one more. Councillor Foley. Really, just a clarification. This came from the Conservative... Uh, as a Conservative emotion. 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 It should be. If this is a Conservative motion, isn't this bringing politics into it? I did think that myself, but anyway. <laughs> um, this, this, the original motion from... Can I just finish? Uh, the original motion to me um, revolves around something which shouldn't have actually happened. I mean, the, the, the Assistant Director of Planning doesn't actually have to ask the uh, Planning Committee for uh, approval to do what he did, regardless of the merits of the, of the planning case. I'm not going to go into that. Um, it would seem to me that the, the, 
that uh, although they voted, it was just purely and simply an advisory vote. And as I said, I'm not going into the, the history of the application itself. So we have a, um, an amendment to the motion which has been proposed and seconded. I would propose that we, uh, we vote on that. If, if anybody is unsure of the amendment... Uh, there's only one amendment. I shall read it to you. It says the council notes that the... Have you got it in front of you? I, I suggest, we, suggest we vote on that amendment before proceeding any further. So all those in favour of the amendment, please. Chairman, the recorded vote was called for. Um, so Quite happy I, to have a recorded vote. As I call your name, would you please indicate whether you're voting for, against or abstaining? Councillor Artis. On the amendment. On the amendment. For. Councillor Asker. Councillor G. Barker. Four. Councillor S. Barker. Four. Councillor Kant. Stay. Councillor Chambers. Four. Councillor Cheatham. Four. Councillor Davy. Stay. Councillor Davis. Four. Councillor Dean. Against. Councillor Easton. Stay. Councillor Eden. Four. Councillor Evans. Against. Councillor Felton. Four. Councillor Foley. Councillor Freeman. Four. Councillor Godwin. Abstain. Councillor Harris. Not here. Councillor Hicks. Not here. Councillor Howell. Four. Councillor Jones. Abstain. Councillor A. Ketteridge. Four. Councillor J. Ketteridge. Four. Councillor Knight. Abstain. Councillor Lemon. Against. Councillor Lachlan. Not here. Councillor Mackman. Councillor Monell. Councillor Mawson? Against. Councillor Oliver? Four. Councillor Parr? Against. Councillor Parry? Absent. Councillor Perry? Against. Councillor Ranger? Four. Councillor Redfern? Four. Councillor Rich? Against. Councillor Rolf? Councillor Rose? Four. Councillor Sadler? Four. Councillor Salmon? Four. Councillor Smith? Four. Councillor Walters? Councillor Watson, Councillor Wells. Chairman, the votes are 23 for the amendment, 10 against, with 6 abstentions. So that comes the substantive motion. The amendment is carried. Before we go to a vote on the substantive motion, um, I know Councillor Watson was eager to speak, so I shall allow that. And actually, since we've already voted through the amendment, my contribution is pointless now. Okay, anybody else wish to speak? We now move to... Please do. I'm, um, I'm delighted to hear 
from members across the chamber. Uh, expressions of reservation about what's gone on. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's heartening. Um, Councillor Rich, I think, said it should never happen again and it better not happen again. Uh, I'm greatly concerned that members of this council think that their officers have carte blanche to do what they want uh, and to interpret positive things to be negative things. Um, and, and I do think that uh, that needs to be looked at very, very carefully in future. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves making decisions here and then officers decide that they're not going to do it for whatever reason. We've heard uh, many calls for greater transparency and, and I think that that's something that I would urge the new leader to pick up because although he has on a couple of occasions this evening already uh, said that he feels that this uh, council uh, values transparency, I think in practice many of us here and in particular many outside the public don't recognise that and I think he, uh, it, it falls upon him to do something about it. Um, I, I'll just pick up one, one piece of detail because Councillor Ketteridge uh, quoted a planning application in Cambridge. It's actually a planning application uh, for a set of Victorian villas in, Cambridge, in Station Road, Cambridge. Uh, the situation there was totally different. The situation here is that you had a, a planning application on a site with no... Uh, no approved plan which uh, supports it. In Cambridge, the application which was refused several times and eventually wasn't supported at appeal was an application that was refused which already had planning permission and the planning committee there were mucking around uh, about it. It already had planning permission. It was, so I'm afraid the example that Councillor Ketteridge gave, which was also referred to me, by Mr Mitchell last week and so I did my research and spoke to members of the planning committee no comparison whatsoever so Mr Chairman uh, the amendment's gone through I wouldn't be in the least bit surprised if a substantive motion goes through but I urge those, all those who wish to stand on principle on this matter to vote against the substantive motion Mr Perry is there a requirement for a recorded vote on this? We will have a recorded vote. Can you the vote? Exactly the same as we did just now, <laughs> as that is the uh, substantive motion. You have it in front of you, I believe. Chairman, the vote is on effectively the same motion as has just been voted on. I'll call the, um, your names if you please indicate if you're voting for, against or abstaining. Uh, Councillor Artis. Councillor G. Barker. Councillor S. Barker. Councillor Kant. Councillor Chambers? For. Councillor Treatham? For. Councillor Davy? Councillor Davies? For. Councillor Dean? Against. Councillor Easton? Councillor Eden? For. Councillor Evans? Against. Councillor Felton? For. Councillor Foley? Against. Councillor Freeman? For. Councillor Godman? Councillor Howell? 
Councillor Jones? Abstain. Councillor A. Catteridge? Four. Councillor J. Catteridge? Four. Councillor Knight? Abstain. Councillor Lemon? Against. Councillor Mackman? Against. Councillor Monell? Four. Councillor Mawson? Against. Councillor Oliver? Four. Councillor Parr? Against. Councillor Perry? Councillor Ranger? All. Councillor Redphone? All. Councillor Rich? Four. Four. Councillor Rolf? Yes, four. Councillor Rose? Four. Councillor Sadler? Four. Councillor Salmon? Four. Councillor Smith? Four. Councillor Walters? Four. Councillor Watson? Okay. Councillor Bells? That will be 24 nine. <coughs> 2496 actually will be here. Yeah. Chairman, the vote is 24 votes for the motion, 9 votes against and 6 abstentions. Motion is carried. Thank you very much, Mr Perry. Um, I believe that concludes the business for this evening. Uh, I have no other items which I consider urgent. Thank you for your attendance. You. See you next time. We are not broadcasting at the moment, but you can use the stream to test the audio on your device.